Section 7, Chapters 23 through 26 of The Monk and the Hangman's Daughter by Ambrose Bierce. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 23 I had not before seen a dawn so glorious. The mountains were rose-red and seemed almost transparent. The atmosphere was of a silver lucidity and so fresh and pure that with every breath I seemed to be taking new life. The dew, heavy and white, clung to the scanty grass-blades like rain and dripped from the sides of the rocks. It was while engaged in my morning devotions that I involuntarily became acquainted with my neighbors. All night long the marmots had squealed greatly to my dismay, and they were now capering to and fro like hares. Overhead the brown hawks sailed in circles, with an eye to the birds flitting among the bushes and the wood-mice racing along the rocks. Now and again a troop of chamois passed near, on their way to the feeding-grounds on the cliffs, and high above all I saw a single eagle rising into the sky, higher and higher, as a soul flies heavenward when purged of sin. I was kneeling when the silence was broken by the sound of voices. I looked about, but although I could distinctly hear the voices and catch snatches of song, I saw no one. The sounds seemed to come from the heart of the mountain, and remembering the malevolent powers that infest the place, I repeated a prayer against the evil one and awaited the event. Again the singing was heard, ascending from a deep chasm, and presently I saw rising out of it three female figures. As soon as they saw me they ceased singing and uttered shrill screams. By this time I knew them to be daughters of the earth, and thought they might be Christians, and so waited for them to approach. As they drew near I observed that they carried baskets on their heads, and that they were tall, good-looking lasses, light-haired, brown in complexion, and black-eyed. Setting their baskets upon the ground, they greeted me humbly and kissed my hands after which they opened the baskets and displayed the good things they had brought me—milk, cream, cheese, butter, and cakes. Seating themselves upon the ground, they told me they were from the Green Lake, and said they were glad to have a mountain brother again, especially so young and handsome a one, and in saying so there were merry twinkles in their dark eyes, and smiles upon their red lips, which pleased me exceedingly. I inquired if they were not afraid to live in the wilderness, at which they laughed, showing their white teeth. They said they had a hunter's gun in their cabin to keep off bears, and knew several powerful sentences and anathemas against demons. Nor were they very lonely, they added. For every Saturday the boys from the valley came up to hunt wild beasts, and then all made merry. I learned from them that meadows and cabins were common among the rocks where herdsmen and herdswomen lived during the whole summer. The finest meadows, they said, belonged to the monastery and lay but a short distance away. The pleasant chatting of the maidens greatly delighted me, and the solitude began to be less oppressive. Having received the benediction, they kissed my hand and went away as they had come, laughing and singing and shouting in the joy of youth and health. So much I have already observed. The people in the mountains lead a better and happier life than those in the damp, deep valleys below. Also they seem purer in heart and mind, and that may be due to their living so much nearer to heaven, 
which some of the brothers say approaches more closely to the earth here than at any other place in the world excepting Rome. End of chapter 23 Chapter 24 The maidens having gone, I stowed away the provisions which they had brought me, and, taking a short pointed spade and a bag, went in search of the gentiana roots. They grew in abundance, and my back soon began to ache from stooping and digging, but I continued the labor, for I desired to send a good quantity to the monastery to attest my zeal and obedience. I had gone a long distance from my cabin without observing the direction which I had taken, when suddenly I found myself on the brink of an abyss so deep and terrible that I recoiled with a cry of horror. At the bottom of this chasm, so far below my feet that I was giddy to look down, a small circular lake was visible, like the eye of a fiend. On the shore of it, near a cliff overhanging the water, stood a cabin, from the stone-weighted roof of which rose a thin column of blue smoke. About the cabin, in the narrow and sterile pasture, a few cows and sheep were grazing. What a dreadful place for a human habitation! I was still gazing down with fear into this gulf, when I was again startled. I heard a voice distinctly call a name. The sound came from behind me, and the name was uttered with so caressing sweetness that I hastened to cross myself as a protection from the wiles of the fairies with their spells and enchantments. Soon I heard the voice again, and this time it caused my heart to beat so that I was near suffocation, for it was Benedictus. Benedicta, in this wilderness, and I alone with her? Surely I now had need of thy guidance, blessed Franciscus, to keep my feet in the path of the divine purpose. I turned about and saw her. She was now springing from rock to rock, looking backward and calling the name that was strange to me. When she saw that I looked at her, she stood motionless. I walked to her, greeting her in the name of the Blessed Virgin, though, God forgive me, hardly able in the tumult of my emotions to articulate that holy title. Ah, how changed the poor child was! The lovely face was as pale as marble, the large eyes were sunken and inexpressibly sad. Her beautiful hair alone was unaltered, flowing over her shoulders like threads of gold. We stood looking at each other, silent from surprise. Then I again addressed her. Is it then you, Benedicta, who live in the cabin down there by the Black Lake, near the waters of Avamus? And is your father with you?" She made no reply, but I observed a quivering about her delicate mouth. As when a child endeavors to refrain from weeping, I repeated my question, "'Is your father with you?' She answered faintly, in a tone that was hardly more than a sigh, "'My father is dead.' I felt a sudden pain in my very heart, and was for some moments unable to speak further, quite overcome by compassion. Benedicta had turned away her face to hide her tears, and her fragile frame was shaken by her sobs. I could no longer restrain myself. Stepping up to her, I took her hand in mine, and, trying to crush back into my secret heart every human desire, and address her in words of religious consolation, said, My child, dear Benedicta, your father is gone for you, but another father remains who will protect you every day of your life. 
and as far as may accord with his holy will will I too, good and beautiful maiden, help you to endure your great affliction. He whom you mourn is not lost, he is gone to the mercy seat, and God will be gracious to him. But my words seemed only to awaken her sleeping grief. She threw herself upon the ground and gave way to her tears, sobbing so violently that I was filled with alarm. Oh, mother of mercy, how can I bear the memory of the anguish I suffered in seeing this beautiful and innocent child overwhelmed with so great a flood of grief? I bent over her, and my own tears fell upon her golden hair. My heart urged me to lift her from the earth, but my hands were powerless to move. At length she composed herself somewhat, and spoke as if she were talking to herself rather than to me. Oh, my father, my poor, heart-broken father! Yes, he is dead. They killed him. He died long ago of grief. My beautiful mother, too, died of grief, of grief and remorse for some great sin, I know not what, which he had forgiven her. He could only be compassionate and merciful. His heart was too tender to let him kill a worm or a beetle, and he was compelled to kill men. His father and his father's father had lived and died in the Galgenberg. They were hangmen all, and the awful inheritance fell to him. There was no escape, for the terrible people held him to the trade. I have heard him say that he was often tempted to kill himself, and but for me I am sure he would have done so. He could not leave me to starve, though he had to see me reviled, and at last, O oh, holy virgin, publicly disgraced for that of which I was not guilty. As Benedicta made this reference to the great injustice that she had been made to suffer, her white cheeks kindled to crimson with the recollection of the shame which for her father's sake she had at the time so differently endured. During her narrative of her grief, she had partly risen and had turned her beautiful face more and more toward me as her confidence had grown but now she veiled it with her hair and would have turned her back but that i gently prevented her and spoke some words of comfort though god knows my own heart was near breaking through sympathy with hers after a few moments she resumed alas my poor father he was unhappy every way not even the comfort of seeing his child baptized was granted him. I was a hangman's daughter, and my parents were forbidden to present me for baptism. Nor could any priest be found who was willing to bless me in the name of the Holy Trinity. So they gave me the name Benedicta, and blessed me themselves, over and over again. I was only an infant when my beautiful mother died. They buried her in unconsecrated ground. She could not go to the Heavenly Father in the mansions above, but was thrust into the flames. While she was dying, my father had hastened to the Reverend Superior, imploring him to send a priest with the sacrament. His prayer was denied. No priest came, and my poor father closed her eyes himself, while his own were blind with tears of anguish for her terrible fate. And all alone he had to dig her grave. He had no other place than near the gallows, where he had so often buried the hanged and the accursed. With his own hands he had to place her in that unholy ground, nor could any masses be said for her suffering soul. 
I well remember how my dear father took me then to the image of the Holy Virgin, and bade me kneel, and joining my little hands, taught me to pray for my poor mother, who had stood undefended before the terrible judge of the dead. This I have done every morning and evening since that day, and now I pray for both, for my father also has died unshriven, and his soul is not with God, but burns in unceasing fire. When he was dying I ran to the superior, just as he had done for my dear mother. I besought him on my knees. I prayed and wept and embraced his feet, and would have kissed his hand, but that he snatched it away. He commanded me to go. As Benedicta proceeded with her narrative, she gained courage. She rose to her feet and stood erect, threw back her beautiful head, and lifted her eyes to the heavens as if recounting her wrongs to God's high angels and ministers of doom. She stretched forth her bare arms in gestures of so natural force and grace that I was filled with astonishment, and her unstudied words came from her lips with an eloquence of which I had never before had any conception. I dare not think it inspiration, for God forgive us all. Every word was an unconscious arraignment of him and his holy church. Yet surely no mortal with lips untouched by a live coal from the altar ever so spake before. In the presence of this strange and gifted being I so felt my own unworth that I had surely knelt as before a blessed saint, but that she suddenly concluded with the pathos that touched me to tears. The cruel people killed him she said with a sob in the heart of every word. They laid hands upon me, whom he loved. They charged me falsely with a foul crime. They attired me in a garment of dishonor, and put a crown of straw upon my head, and hung about my neck the black tablet of shame. They spat upon me, and reviled me, and compelled him to lead me to the pillory, where I was bound and struck with whips and stones. That broke his great good heart, and so he died and I am alone. End of chapter 24 Chapter 25 When Benedicta had finished, I remained silent, for in the presence of such a sorrow what could I say? For such wounds as hers religion has no balm. As I thought of the cruel wrongs of this humble and harmless family, there came into my heart a feeling of wild rebellion against the world, against the church, against God. They were brutally unjust, horribly, devilishly unjust, God, the church, and the world. Our very surroundings, the stark and soulless wilderness, perilous with precipices and bleak with everlasting snows, seemed a visible embodiment of the woeful life to which the poor child had been condemned from birth. And truly this was more than fancy, for since her father's death had deprived her of even so humble a home as the hangman's hovel, she had been driven to these eternal solitudes by the stress of want. But below us were pleasant villages, fertile fields, green gardens, and homes where peace and plenty abided all the year. After a time, when Benedicta was somewhat composed, I asked her if she had any one with her for protection. I have none, she replied. But observing my look of pain, she added, I have always lived in lonely, accursed places. I am accustomed to that. Now that my father is dead, there is no one who cares even to speak to me, 
nor any whom I care to talk with, except you. After a pause she said, True, there is one who cares to see me, but he— Here she broke off, and I did not press her to explain, lest it should embarrass her. Presently she said, I knew yesterday that you were here. A boy came by for some milk and butter for you. If you were not a holy man, the boy would not have come to me for your food. As it is, you cannot be harmed by the evil which attaches to everything I have or do. Are you sure, though, that you made the sign of the cross over the food yesterday? Had I known that it came from you, Benedicta, that precaution would have been omitted, I answered. She looked at me with beaming eyes and said, Oh, dear sir, dear brother, and both the look and the words gave me the keenest delight, as in truth do all this saintly creature's words and ways. I inquired what had brought her to the cliff-top, and who the person was that I had heard her calling. It is no person, she answered, smiling. It is only my goat. She has strayed away, and I was searching for her among the rocks. Then, nodding to me as if about to say farewell, she turned to go, but I detained her, saying that I would assist her to look for the goat. We soon discovered the animal in a crevice of rock, and so glad was Benedicta to find her humble companion that she knelt by its side, put her arms around its neck, and called it many endearing names. I thought this very charming, and could not help looking upon the group with obvious admiration. Benedicta, observing it, said, her mother fell from a cliff and broke her neck. I took the little one and brought it up on milk, and she is very fond of me. One who lives alone as I do values the love of a faithful animal. When the maiden was about to leave me I gained courage to speak to her of what had been so long in my mind. I said, It is true, is it not, Benedicta, that on the night of the festival you went to meet the drunken boys in order to save your father from harm? She looked at me in great astonishment. For what other reason could you suppose I went? I could not think of any other, I replied in some confusion. And now good-bye, brother, she said, moving away. Benedicta, I cried. She paused and turned her head. Next Sunday I shall preach to the dairy women at the Green Lake. Will you come? Oh, no, dear brother, she replied, hesitating and in low tones. You will not come? I should like to come. But my presence would frighten away the dairy women and others whom your goodness would bring there to hear you. Your charity to me would cause you trouble. I pray you, sir, accept thanks, but I cannot come. Then I shall come to you. Beware, oh, pray beware. I shall come. End of chapter 25 Chapter 26 The boy had taught me how to prepare a cake. I knew all that went to the making of it, and the right proportions. Yet when I tried to make it I could not. All that I was able to make was a smoky, greasy pap, more fit for the mouth of Satan than for a pious son of the church and follower of St. Franciscus. My failure greatly discouraged me, yet it did not destroy my appetite. So taking some stale bread I dipped it in sour milk and was about to make my stomach do penance for its many sins, when Benedicta came with a basket full of good things from her dairy. Ah, the dear child! I fear that it was not with my heart only that I greeted her that blessed morning. Observing the smoky mass in the pan, 
She smiled, and, quietly throwing it to the birds, which may heaven guard, she cleansed the pan at the spring, and returning arranged the fire. She then prepared the material for a fresh cake. Taking two handfuls of flour, she put it into an earthen bowl, and upon the top of it poured a cup of cream. Adding a pinch of salt, she mixed the whole vigorously with her slender white hands until it became a soft swelling dough. She next greased the pan with a piece of yellow butter, and, pouring the dough into it, placed it on the fire. When the heat had penetrated the dough, causing it to expand and rise above the sides of the pan, she deftly pierced it here and there that it should not burst, and when it was well browned she took it up and set it before me, all unworthy as I was. I invited her to share the meal with me, but she would not. She insisted, too, that I should cross myself before partaking of anything that she had brought me or prepared, lest some evil come to me because of the man upon her, but this I would not consent to do. While I ate she culled flowers from among the rocks, and, making a wreath, hung it upon the cross in front of the cabin, after which, when I had finished, she employed herself in cleansing the dishes and arranging everything in order as it should be, so that I imagined myself far more comfortable than before, even in merely looking about me. When there was nothing more to be done, and my conscience would not permit me to invent reasons for detaining her, she went away. And, oh, my Saviour, how dismal and dreary seemed the day when she was gone! Ah, Benedicta, Benedicta, what is this that thou hast done to me? making that sole service of the Lord to which I am dedicated seem less happy and less holy than a herdsman's humble life here in the wilderness with thee. End of chapter 26